was good. So there was good news to start with God, but sin brought bad news. And the word sin gets a religious bad rap, I think. It, it has a, a connotation of co condemnation and, and eternal judgment and damnation. And, and uh, the littlest mistake is going to just tip you over the edge and send you plundering down into an eternal abyss of death and destruction. But, but sin simply means that we've missed the mark. God set up the mark. God set the standard. God created the world and everything in it. That's what the book of Genesis starts with. It starts with God setting things in order. And everything was good. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the firmament separate. The waters from above separate from the waters below. Let there be earth. Let there be uh, life in the sea, life in the air, life on the land. And everything, every day God created, he said, this is good. God created man from the dust of the ground. He formed him out of the dust and breathed into him the breath of life. And then he said, this is good. And then, and then he said, well, it's not good. There's one part missing, that it's not good that he's alone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a woman. Uh, and so he took from the side, Adam's side. I like that he didn't take from Adam's back. He didn't take from Adam's front. He took from Adam's side. There's this illustration that God wants a man and a woman, when they're united together, to be side by side, working together, partnering together. They're different. They're, they're, they're unique in their way. But, but God has created them to work together. And he created them together. And then he put them in a garden, said, tend it. Make it good. Make it right. Make it, make it wholesome. Make it lovely. And, and be fruitful. Replenish the earth. It was good. But the serpent came in, that old crafty snake, and began to pose questions. Did God really say? Which tree are you going to eat from? The tree of life or the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He encouraged Eve to eat from the tree God said, don't touch. Leave the knowledge of good and evil in my hands. Let me define that for you. But Satan said, you know what, why don't you just take it? If you take it into your own hands, then you will be like God. You'll be able to determine good from evil. Every lie, every lie is three-quarters truth. Otherwise, it's not really believable. Right? If someone says to you today, uh, give me your car and I'll give you $3 million, you're going to be like, eh, I don't know about that. That's not believable. But, but a lie comes down to having a, a, a little bit of truth mixed into it to make it uh, palatable. There's an old Disney song that says, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Well, a spoonful of truth can help the lie go down. A spoonful of truth can help the lie go down. And Satan gave her a spoonful of truth. Your eyes will be opened. That was true. You'll be like God. That wasn't true. The Bible says she was already created in God. She was already like God. She didn't need help becoming like God. She was created in his image. After his likeness. She was already there. So there was a lie mixed with the truth. And that was enough to get her to take a bite and disobey God's orders. And that caused man from that point forward to continue to miss the mark. 
We only go one more chapter before the first murder takes place. Cain and Abel between two brothers. And so the trend begins. The downward spiral of man's existence of continuing to define for himself what is good, what is evil. And we know where that gets us today. Now it's on a national level, right? One nation says, well, that piece of land is mine. That's good for me. And the other one says, no, this is our land. And so that nation says, well, if you don't give it to us, we'll take it by force. And we'll do whatever we need to do to, to take ownership of this land. And there's this battle, this fight. And it never ends well. It's, look at history. It doesn't, it doesn't end with peace. It doesn't end with, with goodness. It ends with a lot of death and a lot of innocent lives taken in the, in the fight, in the battle. When man defines for himself what is good and what is evil. Well, that's a national example, but it all comes, it's, to God it's all the same. It comes down to, Jesus said, if you have hatred for somebody in your heart, it, it's almost like you've murdered them. If you lust after somebody, you've already committed the sin of adultery in your own heart. The problem is the heart. The problem is the condition of our heart. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, no one is righteous. No one is righteous. No one does it right. Now that's comforting, right? That's comforting to know that we're all in the same boat. Uh, nobody's perfect. That's also comforting because what, what, is, what appears to be perfection is, is only skin deep usually. If you have a social media account, hopefully you, you look at it with the, the, uh, the, the keen eye that nothing on that thing is real, right? Nothing on that. I, I've literally taken a nice picture of my kids smiling, and within 10 seconds, they're pulling each other's hair and fighting and ripping at each other and screaming, and I'm like, man, if I'd posted the first picture, everyone would think my family just has this, like, buttercream frosting existence you know everything is sweet and gentle and fluffy and nice and they don't see what happened after I took the picture right I, I sometimes I take pictures of my friends they live down the street from us and they say will you take our family picture and it's hilarious because we're we're bribing the kids with candy okay smile 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 now stand still and the mom is just like Arr! And three seconds before, she's breathing fire, you know. Uh, sit down. Smile. Look at the camera. Here, eat a candy. Now smile. And then, right? It, and it's hilarious because it's so, that is so legit to me. It's all skin deep. Looking at someone and saying, well, they have it all together. They look, they look so perfect. No one is righteous. The Bible declares it. And, and, and verse 11 says, no one understands and no one seeks for God. Now, you might look at that and say, well, that, that can't be right. Nobody seeks God. I'm seeking God. Well, what you don't understand is that, that you're seeking God because God was seeking for you. Your, your pull and your draw to find God is actually your heart's response to hearing the call of God on your life. That God first came to you. And the precedent was set in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves, the Bible says, from the presence of the Lord. That's our number one reaction 
when we fall into trouble. We hide from God. We try to. And God always comes looking. The Bible says the, spirit, the voice of the Lord walked through the garden in the cool of the day, looking for Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? I'm looking for you. Verse 12 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Verse 23 of, of Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. We're all in the same boat. Short of God's glory. Short on God's goodness. Short on God's righteousness. Short on God's standard. And the solution to that problem, that's the good news. We'll spend the rest of the morning talking about that, okay? Last week we talked about repentance. First, repent. We had a marvelous time around this altar last week, repenting and feeling the presence of God. But we can't stop at repentance. Repentance is a great first step. It's a first move towards God, but it's not the last. We've got to go a little further. Jesus was talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now the cool thing about this story, we're fast forwarding from Genesis right into the book of John, thousands of years later. God has now manifested himself in flesh. He has revealed himself in the, the man, Christ Jesus. And he's sitting talking with a religious man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a priest. He's the one who should have known the answers to the biblical questions that he was asking, but even Nicodemus was stumped. Just so you know, pastors get stumped too. We don't have all the answers. And Nicodemus was stumped, and he came to Jesus and he said, you know, teacher, we know that you're a man from God. We know that you're a teacher come from God, and, 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 and we just want, I just want you to explain some of the things that you're teaching to me, and and Jesus replied to him, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see God's kingdom. You can't see it. There is a fundamental problem even with you, religious leader, priest man, Nicodemus. Raised up on the Torah, the scripture, the word of God. Memorized large portions of the Torah. The Jews were notorious until this day. Many of the devout Jews are notorious for memorizing to their mind large portions of the Old Testament scriptures, prophecies and, and passages from the Psalms and everything you can imagine. Your Old Testament is the Jewish Bible, just so you know. And they are, they are dedicated to learning large portions of this. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, with all your religiousness, with all your learning and your priestliness and all your righteous robes and adherence to the law, you're probably better than most Jews on the block. But, but even with all of that, Nicodemus, you can't see God's kingdom coming. It, you're blind to it. There is a fundamental problem with you, Nicodemus, and it's your first birth. You were born in sin. You were shaping in iniquity. You were shaping in a, in, a, in a mode of fleeing the presence of God when you run into problems. And unless you have a second kind of birth, a born-again experience, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was stumped. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? 
Jesus actually used an old Jewish phrase. Born again is actually, it, it has its roots in Judaism. For example, when someone who was not a Jew became a Jew, they did some pretty crazy things. They shaved their head, and they let their hair grow back so that the new hair was Jewish hair. They would completely shave their head bald so the hair that grew was not Gentile hair anymore. Now it was Jewish hair because they were born again. In fact, they would even baptize them. They called it a mikvah, a bath. And to, to this day, you can go to Israel and to the, the Temple Mount, and there are remains and ruins of old mikvahs from the, from the, the, the temple period of Jesus' uh, life. And many synagogues might even have a mikvah in them, depending on the, the, the branch of Judaism that they're, they're part of. They have these little baths that become like baptismal tanks. And, and so Nicodemus was like, but I'm a priest. I don't need to be born again. I'm, I'm not a Gentile. I, I'm not out of God's kingdom. I'm already in God's kingdom. What, what is this that you're telling me I need to be born again? And Jesus answered, he said, you know what, it's not about going back into your mother's womb, but you can't enter God's kingdom without being born of water and spirit. And it doesn't really matter how you were born the first time. It doesn't matter what you became in your, in your life before Christ. But when you come to Jesus, he wants you to go through a second kind of birth and have a start over. Peter answered this question of what does it mean to be born of the water and the Spirit? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the whole chapter of Acts 2 is Peter's sermon to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. This is after 50 days after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And 50 days later, many of those Jews that were present for the crucifixion of Jesus were still there in Jerusalem. And, and Peter preached to that same crowd that stood at Pilate's front doorstep and said, Crucify Jesus. Crucify him. Peter's now preaching to that same group of Jews that stuck around after Passover for the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days later. And he reveals to them, the person that you have crucified is the Messiah. The one you've been praying for. The one you've been hoping for. The one you've been looking for to rescue you from oppression. That is Jesus. And you killed him with the sword of the Romans. With the nails in his hands and his feet. And, and the Bible says they were pricked in the heart. That's the repentance phase. They were pricked in their heart. There was that, that prick of guilt. Ooh, that hit home. Maybe you felt it. When I, when I read that scripture that says, no one is righteous, prick in the heart, oop, that's me. Oh, man, you mean I'm not right before God? What does that mean? That strikes sometimes a little bit of fear, a little bit of like, ooh, I'm in, a, I'm in the wrong spot. I need to be on the other side of the equation. I don't want to stay here. That's called the pricking of the heart, where God's spirit touches your conscience and says, that was truth. 
And it, sometimes it causes us to cry. And sometimes it causes us to be moved to tears. I was in high school teaching a Bible study at lunchtime in my school. And there was a girl. I wasn't even talking about repentance. I wasn't talking about anything relating to, to sin or anything. I was just teaching a Bible study. And we were maybe talking about an Old Testament story. She couldn't stop crying. She just weeps. She's wiping her eyes. And she's looking at me. She's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't stop crying. She cried the whole Bible study. What was she feeling? Something was touching her heart. My wife was talking to one of our kids at bedtime, and she was telling them how much Jesus loved them. And then she said instantly, they started rubbing their eyes, and they said, Mommy, my eye hurts. Why does my eye hurt? It was totally innocent. And Steph said, well, you're feeling Jesus touch your heart. And sometimes it causes, that prick of the heart causes our eyes to leak. Don't be ashamed of that. That's totally normal. I love crying in the presence of God. God still pricks my heart. He still touches my heart with a song or with a, a, a message or a scripture. Something touches me and I, I turn to him. That's what repentance is. I turn to him and begin to pray. Peter said in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, they finally were pricked in the heart in verse 37 and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What is the response we need to make, sometimes we don't know what to do. I feel this. That's what that girl was in my Bible says. She's like, I don't know why I'm crying. What do I do with this? And Peter said unto them in verse 28, a very succinct phrase. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remission is one of those King James words. It means the washing away, the forgiveness of, the removal of. You ever get a stain on a sweater or a shirt, and you put that stain remover on it, and then you let it sit, and you put it in the washing machine, and it comes out, and the stain is gone? That's what remission means. It's the removal of. It's the washing away of. Baptism, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the washing away of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance is our starting point. The word repent means just think differently. Think the way God thinks and respond to it with an action. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Don't, don't insist that you're not, you have no sin to repent of. Don't insist that your ways are good and your ways are right. Agree with God that there is lying in your heart. There is sin in your heart. There's lust in your heart. There's, there's anger in your heart. There's resentment in your heart. There's gossip in your heart. Whatever it is that's in your heart, agree with God about that. Let that prick come and don't resist it. Don't Paul, Jesus talked to another guy by the name of Paul and he says, Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks. In the old days, they would, they would take a sharp stick and they would poke the backside of a cow to get it moving. And if that cow or donkey was extremely stubborn, instead of going forward, the cow would kick backwards and not move. Would just kick against the prick. I'm not moving. When, when the word of God pricks you, don't kick back at God's word. Move where God is moving you to go because he does it for your benefit. He does it for your, your goodness, for, for something that's, he has something good in store for you. He wants to, to wash you. Peter said, 
We must be baptized. Now that's a, that's a strange word in the English because it's not an English word. Baptize is not an English word. It's a Greek word. If you look at the original Greek language that the Bible was originally written in, in the New Testament, you'll read the word baptizo. And so they just took that Greek word and they pulled it into English and made it sound a little bit more Englishy. We're going to, instead of translating the word, we're going to pull the word into English. Now, I, I, the King James translation of the Bible was written in 1611 or something around there. And back then, they did not believe in full immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. They believed that sprinkling was the method of baptizing, and the church didn't want to change that practice. So instead of translating from Greek to English the real word, they just pulled the word in so they could define it for themselves. That kind of is the story behind the word, why baptize isn't translated into English. So what does baptizo mean in the Greek? What is, what is the real translation? Well, the word baptizo means to dip. Immerse, submerge, overwhelm, saturate. So sprinkling doesn't necessarily count because when you're sprinkled, you're not necessarily saturated, overwhelmed, submerged, dipped. You're sprinkled. You're just a little wet. You're not submerged. When you're submerged, you go all the way under the water. Uh, the word bapto means to sink, but not necessarily to drown. You go all the way under, but you come right back up. And so uh, Peter told the, the, the people of his day, you, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, fully immersed, fully dipped, fully submerged in water, in Jesus' name, for the remission of your sins. So when you go down in the waters and you're fully submerged, there's something that takes place there that's spiritual. It's a physical action. There's nothing special about the water. You can be baptized in any kind of water. Lake water, sea water, river water, chlorinated water in a church. doesn't matter where. But the, the, the important thing is you're dipped and submerged. In fact, the word baptize is akin to the process of dyeing a garment. If you've ever seen someone take a white garment and dip it into a big vat of dye, it goes in white and comes out a different color. That's the same kind of word that's used for that practice. Because that's what happens to someone who goes into the water and they're baptized in Jesus' name. They're completely submerged and they come up different than they went under. When they went in, their lives were stained with sin and with, with old habits and with old uh, feelings of guilt and shame. But when they come out the water, the water changes them. Something happens inside that water and they're completely changed and set free from their old lifestyle. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 28, 19. In fact, part of Jesus' great commission was to tell his disciples to go and baptize everybody. Everybody needs to be baptized. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At first glance, this seems to contradict Acts 2.38 because Peter says something a little bit different than Jesus said. Well, we know there's no contradictions in the Bible. The Bible is the best commentator of itself. So Jesus was actually saying something 
that Peter repeated, but Peter brought this succinct fulfillment version while Jesus was giving a bit more of a revelation of what, what Peter described. Notice, Jesus says, baptize them in the name. If you'll notice, name is singular. There's not a plurality of names being mentioned here. It's one name. Peter says, Jesus said, I want you to baptize them in one name. And that's the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. You'll also notice, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not names. They're titles. Father is, is something that I am. Son is something that I am. It's, it's a title of who I am, but it's not my name. I am a son. I am a father. But I have a name, and my name is Joel. Jesus said, you need to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Luke would uh, continue to write in, in Luke 24, 46. Luke repeated the same interaction that, that Jesus gave in Matthew 28. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Luke is the same writer of Luke as Acts. Luke wrote the same account. So when he used the word remission here, repentance and remission of sins, he used that same word again in Acts 2.38 when Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And Jesus told his disciples, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in what? His name. To all nations. So Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and says, you must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. Why is calling the name of Jesus so important over somebody when they're being baptized? Because it's what God commanded us to do. In Acts 4 verse 12 it says, there is neither, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. It's through the name of Jesus that we're saved. After all, it was Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. It was Jesus that became the replacement for us. The Bible uses the word the propitiation. He becomes our replacement. He took my place on the cross. He took my spot and was nailed to the cross. My sins, the Bible says, were nailed to the cross with him. Therefore, he's the one who was crucified for my sins. He's the one who paid the price. His blood was shed. Therefore, it's in his name that I must call. And anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, the prophet said, will be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, when you're baptized, there's salvation that takes place in that water. There's salvation that takes place. There's a washing that takes place in the waters of baptism. And so Jesus commanded them to be baptized in his name. Peter carried out that, that command on Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 2. Now, if, if Peter got it wrong, the other 12 that were there on the day of Pentecost should have stood up and said, Peter, wait a minute. Jesus said it a little different. He said, do it in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But nobody stood up. They all stood back and kind of amen Peter. In fact, a little bit later, you read in, in Acts chapter 8, Philip, 
one of the disciples goes to a place called Samaria and baptizes everybody in Samaria, the Bible says, in the name of Jesus. He continued the practice. He didn't change it. He didn't say, wait a minute, we got to call on the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, they just said they went right to the name because the name calls on the Father, calls on the Son, calls on the Holy Spirit. It's all the same. Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. Notice in Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias talking to Paul on his conversion day. He says, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. How do I do that? Calling on the name of the Lord. When I call on the name of the Lord, my sins are washed away. When I go down in the waters of baptism and they say, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It may seem like just a physical act that took place, but in reality, there's a spiritual thing that takes place. And the name of Jesus is called over that life. The blood of Jesus is applied to the record of that person. And the sins of that person are washed away in the waters of baptism, calling on his name. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were placed in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. God sent an earthquake to set them free from their imprisonment. And it opened all the doors of the prison. And the, the jailer got a little scared. The jailer was a Roman. He was, he, was not a, he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And when the jailer found out that all of his prisoners were about to escape, the Bible says he pulled out his sword and he was going to kill himself because he knew the torture for, for failing to, to keep this prisoners in prison was worse than doing himself in. And Paul and Silas quickly, quickly said, wait a minute, don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Nobody's left. And the man said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'm in big trouble. And Paul skipped all of the all of the, okay, you know what, this is what you need to do. And he just skipped right to the cut. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, why did Paul say, just believe? Just believe. Was he telling them that all you have to do is agree in your mind? And if you agree with your mind and you just say it with your mouth, then, then you're completely saved at that moment? What Paul was trying to do was he was trying to stop the man from, from killing himself, number one. Number two, Paul was calling him to leave behind his Roman allegiances. Leave behind all of the gods. None of them can save you. The only one who can save you is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you believe in him, you will be saved. Your hope isn't in, isn't in Caesar. Your hope isn't in Apollo. Your hope isn't in any of the Roman pantheon. Your hope isn't in, in Aphrodite or any of those Roman or Greek gods. Your hope is only in Jesus Christ. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. You will be saved. Notice the end of that story. The Bible says when they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house, they took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Believing 
is more than just a confession of your mouth. That's a great start. That's a repentant start. It's an important start and not to be discounted. It's a powerful moment. When someone confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart the Lord Jesus and, 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 and confesses that they want to make him their Lord and Savior, the Lord meets them in that moment and touches their life in a special way. I, I did that when I was five years old and God filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I began to speak with other tongues as a Spirit gave the utterance as a small child because God saw the faith in my heart and the repentance in my spirit that turned to him. And he did not turn me aside, but he gave me what I was seeking for, and that was the gift of his spirit. But I still needed to be baptized. The Philippian jailer had that experience, but he had to go a little further. He had to be baptized. And at once, the Bible says, he and his whole family was baptized. See, repentance is important, but it's not the final step. And if you're here this morning and you've repented of your sin, I shout and jump and I'm excited for that because that is a great first step. You are on your way to having your sins washed away, but don't stop at repentance. Don't stop short of what God has for you. God has a name for you. He wants to give you a name that is above every name. His own name that he places on your life. The Bible says that when you're baptized, you're covered in the name like new clothes. Jesus puts his name on you like a new pair of clothes. But that happens when you're baptized. When your sins are washed away. When, they're re when you're released from bondage or imprisonment, when you're forgiven and pardoned, when the, when the stain of your shame and your guilt is completely removed from you. That's what happens when you're baptized in Jesus' name. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, And water is a picture of baptism which now saves you. You are not not by removing the dirt from your body. It has nothing to do with the water. The water might just remove the dirt from your body. But what happens is a spiritual thing. A response to God from a clean conscience. It cleans your conscience. Baptism cleans your conscience. Do you know what the Old Testament said about baptism? When, if you, how many of you remember the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea? He spreads his hand, and the waters part. Moses and all the Israelites go through the sea to the other side. Paul called back to that thing, and he says, those Israelites were baptized in the Red Sea. What happened in that story? They went through the Red Sea. They went through all the way under the water, by the way. They weren't misted by the salt spray of the sea. They had to go all the way under, and they came all the way back up. And when they got to the other side, Pharaoh couldn't cross and recapture them. And when Pharaoh tried to cross and recapture him, he was drowned, he and his whole army. What does baptism do? It separates me from my old slavery, my slavery to sin. Satan can't get through the waters. Now, if all I ever do is pray a prayer and repent, he can still come up to me and wrestle with me and, con and condemn me and, 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 and tell me I'm still guilty of those sins. But as soon as I go down into the waters and I come back up, he's divided from me. And if he tries to get through, he'll drown. He'll drown just like Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. 
Paul made the illustration. He said Mo, the Israelites were, were baptized in the sea uh, unto Moses. And, and so just like that, you are now baptized into Christ. And when you're baptized into Christ, your old life is buried. You're buried with Christ. When you're baptized, that old man is dead and is placed under the name of Jesus. It's, it's left there. It's buried there. It's, it's back in the tomb. And you get to walk out and walk a new kind of life. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says that we are crucified with Christ so sin loses its power in our life. It has no control. It has no way to pull us back in because we are set free from the power of sin and we also will live with him. We take on the name of Jesus. Jesus' name is, is put on us. The word name implies character. It implies authority. It implies the presence. When you call someone by their name, they recognize their name and they respond to it. When you sign a check, you put your name on the check. I don't know if you sign checks anymore. Now it's all digital. There was a day, I think everybody in this room is old enough to have signed a check. Maybe you still do. You put your name on it. And you sign it. When you receive a check, you have to flip it over, and you have to sign your name on that check. It's your name that has to, that's what makes it yours. You receive it with your authority, the authority of your name. Your name is, is binding in a legal document. If you sign a contract and you put your name at the bottom of that contract, you, you are bound to that document by your name. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, he puts his name on you. He puts his authority on you. What is he doing? He's restoring what was back in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, I give you authority to, to, to rule the earth. Be, be over. I give you dominion over the fish, over the, the land animals, over the world, over the cattle. They lost that dominion when they fell into sin. Jesus gives us back that dominion when we get baptized. He gives us back his authority, back his name, back his spirit. His, his character is placed on us in baptism. When I'm baptized in Jesus' name, I put on the character of Jesus. I put on the name of Jesus. I'm separated from Satan's rule. I'm separated from his authority. Satan no longer has control over my life because I've now been clothed in the name of Jesus. Pastor, what, what do you do if, if I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name? Maybe I was baptized a while ago and it, when they did it, they did it with sprinkling, or they did it with the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul ran into a group of people like that in Acts 19. In Acts 19, you can read it for yourself, they were a group of followers of John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist? Before Jesus came, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And when John would baptize them, he'd go, I baptize you under repentance. Pull them up, and they'd get out of the river, and they said, okay, now bear fruit for that repentance. And Paul ran into this group of men, and he says, hey, guys, how's it going? Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, the Holy what? And Paul said, oh, you haven't received the Holy Ghost yet? Okay, well, how were you baptized? That, that was important to Paul. He didn't just accept the fact that they were baptized. He said, what was the method? The method was important to Paul. He said, how did it happen? They said, well, we were baptized under repentance. Paul didn't say, oh, you guys, come on now. 
Really? Paul said, great. Guess what? You need to be rebaptized in Jesus' name. He never condemned them for their previous baptism. He celebrated their state of repentance and turning to God in that moment. But he said, guess what, guys? You've got to go a little further than just baptism for repentance. Now you need a baptism in the name of Jesus because God's commanded it and it's a part of the command. Now we must baptize you in Jesus' name. And he re-baptized that group of disciples. They were devout. They were followers of God. They weren't trying to live sinfully. They weren't trying to live like the world. They were trying to live for God and do what was pleasing to God. When Paul came along, God brought Paul into their life to say, hey guys, just go a little further and be baptized in Jesus' name. If you've been baptized one way, there's no harm in getting it done a second way. There's no harm in getting it done another way. There's people in this church, they were baptized one way, and when they saw the revelation of Jesus' name baptism, they went back into the waters and got rebaptized, and their legs didn't fall off, their arms didn't come unhinged at the seams, their family didn't disown them. None of the things that maybe uh, come into their mind, but well, what will happen if I get rebaptized? Nothing, except for the fact that your sins will be washed away. What have you got to lose? Your sins. <laughs> washed away in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. It's an important step. One that's not to be taken lightly, but it's you've got everything to gain. The name, the blood, the washing, the authority, the power, the love of God that comes over you when you're baptized in His name. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be baptized in His name. Can we stand this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Here's water. What hinders you? Arise, be baptized. Call on his name and let him wash your sins away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can we just worship him this morning and thank him for his name? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of your name. Thank you for the precious, precious name of Jesus that is called over us in repentance and in baptism. That when we are baptized in Jesus' name, that our sins are washed away. We can have a fresh start to the new year. We can enter into the kingdom of God and see the kingdom of God when we are born again of the water and of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of baptism. Thank you, Lord, for the treasure that is in your name, that when we are baptized, we are covered in the name of Jesus. We're covered in the blood of Jesus. Your blood is applied to our life when we call on your name and we are washed and cleansed and our sins are washed away in the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Hallelujah, Lord, we worship you this morning. We praise you this morning. If you need repentance of your sins, if you need to be washed in the blood of Jesus, 
If you'd like prayer this morning for healing in your body, healing happens in the name of Jesus. Deliverance happens in the name of Jesus. Would you come around this front and let's pray together before we leave here this morning, before we, before we dismiss our service today. Father, would you bless those that are coming here this morning? Would you touch their hearts and their lives? Jesus, as we gather here to pray, Lord, I pray for deliverance, for healing, for, for rescue from sin, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to your people, that you'd bless them, Lord, as they turn to you and turn their hearts towards you, Jesus. Would you reach out and touch their lives in Jesus' name? Do the work that only you can do now, Father. Do the work that only you can do today, Jesus. Let your will be done, Father. Let your name be exalted. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We love you. Cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? Would you seek the Lord this morning and talk to Him? Pray and seek the Lord while He may be found this morning. Hallelujah.